Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to our new series called The Gift. And I also want to point your attention as well. Uh, in your bulletins today, there is a uh, flyer or handout for you to be praying for our people who are going to Guatemala. We sent off about 40-some uh, of our church members, and uh, we are praying that they will be powerfully effective in the nation of Guatemala, that their lives will be changed by what they do, and the lives of the people that they're working with will be changed as well. So won't you join us this week as we pray for this group and their effectiveness and for God's ultimate glory. Now, we're starting a new series today called The Gift, um, but in order to get to where I want to go with this, we've got to kind of talk about where we were in our last series when we talked about being a dangerous church. I want you to think with me for a moment about the seemingly impossible story of the church, all right? Think with me. How was it that this, this ragtag group of Jewish peasants was able to change the course of history? They had no educational resources. They all admitted that they were untrained. They had no political resources. They didn't have power or status quo or rub shoulders with people who did. And they had no financial resources as well. But they changed the world because of what they did have. And what they did have is the best gift ever. So follow me for just a moment, okay? It's the night before Jesus is about to die. And he's talking with his disciples. These men who he's asked to leave everything to follow him. And now he tells these men that he's about to leave them. Ten times in just three chapters, Jesus says over and over, I'm about to leave you. I'm about to leave you. And they are feeling somewhat abandoned. Life with him is all they've known. And they've not quite yet put together the pieces of the puzzle where they understand fully why he came, how he's going to die, how he's going to resurrect from the dead, and how they are going to be the ones that take the good news of this life, death, burial, and resurrection to the rest of the world. They don't understand that yet. So imagine how you would feel if you've left everything, devoted your whole life to this man who now says he's going to be leaving you. And it's in that context that Jesus says, I know you're scared, and I know you're sad, and I know you're afraid. But here's what he says. I know something you don't know. Let's see what that is. John 16, 5. Here's what Jesus says. So if you have your Bibles, open them, if you would, to John 16, 5, because later we're going to be flipping over to the book of Acts, which is just right after the book of John, okay? Here's what Jesus says. But now I am going to him who sent me. I'm about ready to leave. I'm about ready to depart. I'm not going to be here much longer. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. In other words, all they can focus on is Jesus is leaving. He's leaving. We don't know life, what life is like without having you here, Jesus. That's all we've known. We've left everything to follow you. But very truly, I tell you, now listen to this, because this is going to blow your mind. He says here, it is for your good. It's in your best interest that I am going away. 
Because unless I go away, unless I depart, the advocate, or maybe your translation says the comforter, or maybe it says the counselor. What he's talking about here is the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And the disciples are thinking, man, this is the worst. This is as bad as it can get. Jesus is going. And Jesus says, no, guys, listen, I tell you the truth. The best is yet to come. I mean, these guys are facing a very uncertain and hostile future. Jesus has already told them they're going to be persecuted and hardship is going to be coming their way. So what is it that they need in order to get through what is going to come according to Jesus? And here's what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, I'm getting ready to leave. Tough times are coming. You're going to be persecuted. People are going to be hostile towards you. He doesn't say this. You need to read your Bible more. That's going to be the key to getting through this. Or you need to adopt this really positive mental attitude, all right? Or you need to depend on one another more. That's not what he says. He tells them one thing. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Things are going to go up from here because I'm sending you the best gift ever. And I want you to understand that, that Jesus doesn't say this because he doesn't want his disciples to be sad or angry or frustrated or fearful. He's not thinking, well, what can I say to make these guys feel better and just throw something out there? No, he's saying this because it's absolutely true. And I want you to think about that, that Jesus says it's for your best interest, it's for your betterment, it's for your good that I go so that someone else can come. Think about that, folks. Listen to me. Here's what Jesus is saying in a nutshell. That the men and women who live in the age of the Holy Spirit are more blessed than those people who actually walked and talked with Jesus himself. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that those people, those men and women for the past 2,000 years, and that includes you and me, and for the past 2,000 years of people who followed Jesus, we are more blessed living in this day and age, the age of the Holy Spirit, more so than the people who actually walked and talked with Jesus. Why is that? How could that possibly be true? I mean, isn't the one thing you want more than anything else, isn't the reason why heaven is so appealing is because we finally get to be with Jesus. But here's the reason why. Here's why Jesus says it's for your good that I leave and it's for your good that he comes. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Because Jesus is going to make a very, very, very important point to his followers. Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already died. He's already resurrected. He spent some time with his disciples. And he's about ready to ascend for good. They're not going to be around him anymore. So he gives them um, some last parting instructions before he leaves. And here's what he says. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He says, it says here, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Here's the command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And he's referring back to John 14 through 16, where he's telling them all about the Holy Spirit that's to come. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, 
Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will, here's the key here, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why do they need power? Why do they need the Holy Spirit? Here's why. Jesus is going to show us. And you will be my witnesses. There's the mission. That's where the rub is going to come. That's what's going to make them living in a hostile world. That's why persecution is going to come. That's why hardship is going to come. Because they are now going to go be the witnesses of Jesus. And so in order to do that, in a world that's very hostile against that, you are going to need a kind of supernatural divine power. So you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you have your Bible with you this morning or you've got it in digital form, you ought to underline that word in verse 8, power. Because if there is one word that can be associated time and time and time and time and time again with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it is that word power. And here's what Scripture says. This will blow your mind. That you and I as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, as his children, we have access to the very same spirit, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We're going to see that here in a moment, folks, but that's power. And here's what Jesus is saying to his apostles. He says, you guys think the last three years with me have been amazing? You ain't seen nothing yet. You buckle your seatbelts because your world is about ready to get rocked with a kind of power you have never, ever known. So what we're going to do over the course of this series is we're going to let Jesus inform us. We're going to let Jesus change our minds according to the Holy Spirit. Because I'm basing this assumption, I'm basing this whole thing on the assumption that no one knew or walked in or evidenced the power of the Spirit more than the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? It was the Spirit of God that fueled everything in his life. And I want you to understand, Jesus' view of the Holy Spirit did not come from a sermon that he heard one time. It didn't come from a book that he read. It didn't come from a course on theology that he took at the local synagogue. Jesus' view of the Holy Spirit, his life in this Holy Spirit, came from through his intimate, personal life experience as he lived life intertwined with the Spirit of God. In fact, I want to just recap for you for just a moment how intimately connected Jesus' life was with the Holy Spirit. If you look in Luke's gospel, Luke has this amazing way of showing how Jesus' life was just interwoven with the workings of the Spirit. We read in Luke's gospel that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That he was given the title Christ, which means anointed by the Spirit that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, we read. Luke tells us that Jesus came in the power of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. 
Jesus one time opened up the word of God in a synagogue and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Luke tells us that Jesus was full of joy in the Holy Spirit. And then in other parts of the New Testament, like we read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, 14, listen to this. For by the power of the eternal spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. So it was the Spirit of God that helped Jesus take each step that he took facing the cross, that helped give him the courage and the wherewithal and the love for humanity to take the needed steps toward the cross to become our sacrifice. It was the Spirit that empowered Jesus to do that. Listen to what we read in Romans 8.11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead Who was it that raised Jesus from the dead? It was the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul says that same spirit lives in you. And then we read from Acts 1.1. Now, the person who wrote the book of Acts is Luke, the same guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. And Luke is telling his friend Theophilus, he says, in my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. And he's referring back to his gospel of Luke that he wrote. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. So even Jesus' final parting words to the disciples came empowered by the Holy Spirit. So think with me for just a moment, okay? Follow me here. From the moment that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit... Until the very last day that he left, giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. Jesus' life was drenched in, guided by, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to fulfill his mission here on planet Earth. And you want to guess what the Holy Spirit's purpose is for our life? To fulfill the mission that Jesus left us with, to be his witnesses. Now, some of you this morning, when you saw that our topic was going to be the Holy Spirit, you're like, man, I'm really glad that we're going to be discussing what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit, but I just hope, I hope that Solomon doesn't go too far. I hope that things don't start getting crazy in here. Because here's what I've noticed, unfortunately, I've noticed in the past with my dialogue with with Christians from all walks of life, anytime you start talking about the Holy Spirit with a lot of people, they start getting a little nervous. They start getting a little anxious. They start getting a little apprehensive. But let me ask you folks, think about this. If the Holy Spirit is a gift from God, if it is the best gift ever that God can leave his people, why in the world would we be afraid of it? Why? Why? like the story I heard about a man who owned a hotel. And there was a man who was wanting to take a vacation. He was going to stay at this guy's hotel, but he had a dog that he wanted to be able to stay in his room with him. So he wrote the hotel owner and he said, dear sir, I'm planning on staying at your hotel for a few days. I have a dog who is very well behaved, very well groomed, and I would like to ask for permission for my dog to stay in my room with me. Well, the hotel owner wrote back to him and said, dear sir, In all my years owning a hotel, I have never had a dog that has stolen towels or stolen bedclothes or stolen silverware or paintings off the wall. 
I've never had to evict a dog because of being drunk and disorderly. And I've never had a dog walk out on a bill. So yes, indeed, your dog may stay here. And if he vouches for you, you can stay here as well. Here's the point. What has the Holy Spirit ever done that we should be afraid to welcome him? Especially when Jesus tells his church, his bride, it's better that you have him than even if you had me among you. So because God is love, and because God gives us the best gift ever in the Holy Spirit, why should we ever be afraid of that? And let me tell you this, to be afraid of that or the power that's there, or the potential that's there, or what might happen if we open ourselves up to that. Let me tell you this, to be afraid of that, or suspect of that, you know what you're doing? You are subtly questioning. You are subtly questioning the goodness of God when you do that. So, let me take the rest of our time together, and I want to just share with you, from my own personal experience, from conversations I've had with people, and from some sheer speculation, in other words, what my gut just tells me about this, about why it is Christians in general, not all of them, but some of them, are very hesitant to walk in a direction that develops our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? We've, this is a talk that we've got to have. We've just got to lay out all the cards on the table, and we've all got to be honest enough to say, yep, that's me, or that's where I am, or that's why I've been a little gun-shy, Okay? Number one, I believe, is negligent teaching. Now, there are some of you in here that never grew up in church at all growing up. So it's understandable why when we talk about um, the Holy Spirit, why you just kind of shake your head and scratch and wonder, well, well, who or what is that? That's understandable. But listen to me. There are those of you in here this morning who you grew up in church for the better part of your life, and you are woefully ignorant about the person and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why I think that has happened. Because maybe the church you grew up in, on a regular basis in that church or in class, you would all read about the book of Acts, which is about the church launching, developing, the Holy Spirit being given, everything starting after Jesus left. And you read that some things were happening in that church that wasn't happening at your church. I mean, in the book of Acts, we read about the the, the apostles speaking boldly and the spirit moving powerfully and lives being changed dramatically to where people could barely even resist the power of the spirit because it was so thick. And in your church, you couldn't even get people to move up a couple rows to make room for visitors, right? Right? So, in order to kind of bridge the gap and to reconcile the seeming difference between the church that I'm at and the church that I read about in the New Testament, I think what happened is that there were some theologies that have been developed over time that just kind of muted the Holy Spirit. In other words, we would just come up with things and we would say things like this. Oh, well, you know what? What happened there with the Holy Spirit in the Bible? That's just the Bible. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that today. 
Or that was just for the apostles, you know, kind of the cream of the crop followers of Jesus. He was just talking to them. He wasn't talking to any of us. So we went through John 14 through 16, and we started playing duck, duck, goose with it. We were saying, you know, that's everybody, 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 apostles, apostles, everybody, everybody. We just kind of took this theology, and we made up our own theology to make ourselves feel better at the fact that the, there wasn't the power or the presence or the might or the wonder or the awe of the Spirit in our church like there was in that church. I got a question for you guys. Does the church of Jesus Christ still need help today? Absolutely. And I want you to listen to Jesus' words, John 14, 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you, say the word, forever. He's going to be with the church forever, the people of Jesus forever. In Acts 2, 38. Peter just gives this dynamic, wonderful uh, gospel presentation. The Holy Spirit has just empowered the apostles, and Peter is preaching. And at the conclusion of his sermon, here's the challenge he gives to all the unbelievers there that day. He says to them, repent, turn from your life of sin, and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, what promise are you talking about, Peter? The promise of forgiveness and the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you, those of you all listening to me, and for your children, both the ones that are born and even the unborn ones, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter says the Holy Spirit isn't limited to a select group of people in a certain generation. It's for every generation of Christ followers. And in that same sermon, Peter even quotes the prophet Joel in Joel 2.28 where he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on who? All people. On all people. So let's be clear. The same Holy Spirit that Jesus promised, that Jesus sent, that Jesus empowered the apostles with, is the same Holy Spirit that he promises you and I can be filled with and for the same purpose that he filled them with, to be witnesses of Christ in our day and time. So negligent teaching. We just kind of avoided that stuff because our church didn't look like that church. You know another reason why? We can be a little gun-shy when it comes to the Holy Spirit because of negative experiences that we've either had with people or teachings concerning the Holy Spirit that were harmful or negative in a certain way. This happened to me. It was the summer of 1983. I was 10 years old. My brother was 13 years old. We had a babysitter who lived in our neighborhood, who would come and watch us while our parents were at work. This babysitter attended a charismatic church in the community, which I've got some great charismatic friends, so this isn't about charismatics at all. But one day, the babysitter, when she comes over, she doesn't come over by herself. She brings her friend, who also attends the same church. And her her and her friend start kind of probing my brother and I with all these spiritual questions. Now remember, I didn't really grow up going to church. We were pretty much Christmas and Easter kind of family, okay? So I didn't really know a whole lot. 
But when she started asking these questions, my spider senses started to tingle, and I just was a little skeptical. But my brother had a crush on the babysitter. So he was like putty in their hands, okay? And so the babysitter and her friend start praying over my brother. And then not too long into the prayer, there's these unintelligible words coming out of their mouth, which I would later be learned was what they would call speaking in tongues. And they're just telling my brother while their hands are laid on him and they're speaking these unintelligible words, just, just speak whatever comes to you, whether or not it makes sense. Just let, let the Spirit of God flow in you, you know. And so after a while, not too long, my brother starts having these kinds of things coming out of his mouth. And the prayer ends and the babysitter and her girlfriend are high-fiving, talking about how my brother's saved, he's got the Holy Spirit now. And then all three of them look at me. I'm like, uh-oh, here it comes. You know, so they gather around me, and they put their hands on me, and they start praying for me, and they're telling me, just say whatever comes to mind. And so you know what I did? I just said whatever came to mind. I got to tell you what, folks. That's a very, very vivid memory in my mind. Honestly, the only thing I can remember about the summer of 1983 in my life but just because it's a vivid memory does not mean it's a good memory. Because looking back on that, I felt like in that moment that I was coerced, manipulated, and even deceived as just kind of a young, naive person. And I don't believe what happened that day in our home, in fact, I'm sure of it, was of God. Here's why. There was nothing of Jesus ever mentioned. And the whole role of the Holy Spirit is to point people to what? Jesus. That's why. So you can imagine then in my growing up years, even when I did finally come to faith in Christ in the summer of 1988, that when I, when I heard talk about the Holy Spirit or people referred to it, I was just like, you're kind of stepping on a nerve there because I had a really weird experience about that. And that doesn't even take into account, you know, what I saw on TV even in my growing up years. You know, a lot of times when you watch TV um, services that sometimes when you've got preachers that are, that are talking about the Holy Spirit, you know, and they're, they're walking around and they're pacing and they're sweating and they're yelling and they got a hanky dab in their head like that, you know, and they're just running around the stage and they're pulling a hamstring or two as they're walking around and the people in the crowd are, they're screaming, they're, they're freaking out and they're clapping, you know, and then they come forward and, and the preacher hits them on the head and they fall on the ground and they start shaking like that. It's like, ugh, the visibility of that and the imagery of that combined with everything that I experienced in, on that day in that summer, it just really made me very hesitant about going any deeper, about exploring any further, about who or what the Holy Spirit was and this great gift that God had given to me. And what I let happen, and maybe what you've let happen, is you've let man's distortion or the negative experience you've had with a teaching like that or what you saw on TV or an experience you had in a church, and you let that shape you and guide you. And it's been a totally wrong impression of the Holy Spirit of the Scriptures, what man has done with it. So it can be negligent teaching, it can be a negative experience, 
But here's what I really think it boils down to. I think this is, this is the key one right here. It's nominal discipleship. Nominal discipleship. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Most Christians, especially those of us here in the West, we can live quite successful lives without the Holy Spirit. Because we have the resources, we have the talents, we have all the advantages to live a pretty comfortable life without any help. So here's what we do. We settle for a very mild, tepid, innocuous kind of discipleship that demands nothing more of me than that I go to church sometimes, I give a little bit of my money, I'm a good neighbor, and I'm a good citizen. And to be able to check off that list I just gave you, you don't need any supernatural help to do that. Here's what I'm saying. If your great goal in life, which I've met many a follower of Jesus who this is their goal, if your great goal in life is to be comforted, to be comfortable, why in the world do you need a comforter? We just got through with a series talking about being a dangerous church, and here's what I assure you of. If you are following Jesus to the degree that he demands to be followed, if you are walking in his ways the way that he wants you to walk in, life is going to get very, very uncomfortable for you, and you are going to need a comforter. Because we still live in a world that is very uncertain, a world that is very depraved, a world that it seems like increasingly day by day we want to call evil more good and we want to call more good evil. And any time you take kingdom values and you challenge the current cultural value with those kingdom values of Jesus, there is always, always, always going to be hostility. That, friends, is the world that Jesus has called us into. We're ambassadors of a new kind of kingdom, living completely different kind of lives than those around us. And you know what that's going to take for you and I to do that? What's the key word? Power. We need power to do that. So if you ask me, I think that the greatest apprehension that we have when it comes to learning more about Jesus or the Holy Spirit, exploring more about the Holy Spirit, submitting ourselves more to the Holy Spirit is because we know, we know in our heart of hearts that his definition of what is best for my life might be different than my own. And I'm pretty comfortable right now, so Holy Spirit, you just kind of stay up there on the shelf where you are safe. So here's what I know. In order for me to live like Jesus lived, to love like Jesus loved, I don't have that power in and of myself. Does anybody in here 
have that capacity in and of yourself, in your natural flesh, to live like he lived and love like he loved. I don't have it. I need some help. And Jesus says he's made it available. So let me just say to you here today, and I'm saying this because I love you and because it's been my own experience, that if you don't daily need the help of the Holy Spirit in your life, I got news for you, friends. You are not following Jesus where he wants you to go. If you don't daily need that help and rely on that help and rely on that power, if you don't daily need it, you are not following Jesus where he wants you to go. We need more of the Spirit to make more of a difference in this world. So, here in just a moment, we're going to have the ushers come down and they're going to bring to you the elements the body and blood of Jesus. Those elements don't just represent the death that he died. You know what they represent? They represent the totality of the man. They represent the life that he lived, the compassion with which he reached out and healed people, the forgiveness that he extended that had no conditions on it, they represent the teachings that he gave in love, the death that he willingly died, the resurrection that gives us all hope of life that is yet to come and the abundant life that we can have now. And Jesus, if he were here next to me, he would tell you, because scriptures attest to this, that every single last ounce of what he did, who he was, what he gave, the power that he had, was all because of the Spirit of God indwelling him. And he says, this I give to you, the best gift ever. So maybe during this time, we just ask Jesus, who said in John 14 through 16 to his followers, you and me, ask whatever you will in my name, and I will do it. So maybe today we ask Jesus, help me to see the Spirit as you saw the Spirit. Help me to live in the Spirit as you live in the Spirit. Help my life to be intertwined and that everything that I am, everything I'm becoming, everything I will do is only because of my reliance on the Holy Spirit of God. So why don't you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you that you did not leave us like children abandoned in this broken world. That you said, I'm going to give you the means and the capacity to not only survive, but thrive in this broken world. And that you've unleashed to your children a kind of power by which we can live lives that we need to live and love people in the kind of way we need to love that we in and of ourselves can't muster up. And that the same mission you had for the 12 followers of Jesus, you've given us the same power, the same resources, the same spirit to accomplish the same mission in our day and time. We still need your help, Lord. And so, Lord, we just pray for a, a fresh understanding 
fresh outpouring, a fresh openness to the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. But if you knock, the door will be opened. If you seek, you'll find. And Lord, we want your spirit. We want your presence of your spirit here with us. So help us, Lord, to live more daily dependent upon the Holy Spirit so that we can go where Jesus is calling us to go and be what Jesus is calling us to be. We thank you now, Lord, for these emblems that represent the best life ever, the life of Jesus, the life that we're called to live. And it's only possible, Lord, because of the spirit that you give. So bless us, Lord, in this series. May, may new understanding and may better understanding lead to better lives and you being glorified as best as we possibly can. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.